How's it going, guys? Um, one more quick announcement. If you are in grade 6 through 10th, we have the student ministry. You're going to go with Grant uh, Cupstead back there, a.k.a. The Beard. You guys be dismissed for your class. Grant's Beard Oils are awesome. Just check it out. Shameless plug. All right, we're going to be in uh, John 15, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to turn there, um, and as you get there, if you wouldn't mind standing with me for the reading of God's Word, if you are able tonight, um, we want to stand and honor God's Word. Uh, just, just to recap what we've been doing, we've been in a series called Revival, and we've been exploring uh, why and how God brings spiritual awakening to His people. And uh, this is going to be the last um, series, or last sermon in that series before we move on to a new series next week, so I'm excited for it. Um, but let's start off reading the Word, um, John 15, starting in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one below you or on your seat or something like that as well. Um, hear the Word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's word. You may be seated, and let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your word this evening. God, we pray as we talk about the words of your son, Jesus, about abiding in him. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to abide God, this should be our life's work, that we would abide in you, that we would be connected to you in relationship for all eternity. And God, we, um, I'm sure, all in this room would admit that we fail here. God, we fail to abide. We fail to, to be in communion with you like we should. And God, it breaks our hearts. And God, I, I simply pray tonight as we speak that you, you would soften our hearts, God, to hear from you. God, that we'd hear the gracious yet stern rebuke that nothing in this world can satisfy and that as long as we abide there and not in you, we will always be discontent. We will always be wanting. So God, I pray, make that change. Make us be a different people that are connected to you, that love you with all of our hearts. God, make us a prayerful people. We, we long to be revived and renewed. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray right now, do that among us. Work that in us as we listen to your word. Give us a, an ability to be uh, paying attention and understanding everything I said today. And we ask this in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Cool. Um, yeah, so uh, like I said, we're going to be in John 15. I don't have clever sermon titles, so it's just called Abiding in Christ. I stole that from uh, Jesus, but it's a good sermon title because <laughs> Jesus made it up, so that works, okay? Um, but yeah, like I said, we, we've been in a series on revival, and we've basically been discussing um, 
the what of revival. So what is revival? Why is revival necessary? And what does it look like? And so we've been talking about some of the characteristics as we get to the end of this series of what our lives should look like as a church who says we long to be revived. We long to be revived by the Holy Spirit. We long to have power um, like we know the church should have. And, and we long not just to ex- experience God in unique ways, but to, to have his presence and um, to see that manifest in such a way where we are uh, reaching out and, and seeing people saved and seeing people changed and seeing other churches change, etc. Um, and so we're going to talk about the last characteristic, which I would call abiding in Christ, or, or we'll kind of talk about prayer and things like that today. Um, and so it's kind of what we're, we're going at. And then next week, we're going to start a, a series on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which I'm very excited for. This should kind of lead into that, which is going to be very cool. Um, but I got uh, three points today, and um, it's very, very simple. John uh, 15, 1 through 11 has a lot in there. And so I, I don't uh, presume to explain everything in the text. I just want to kind of keep on a thread on a main point. Um, and so in talking about abiding in Christ, I have three points, and that is the foundation of abiding in Christ, the fruit of abiding in Christ, and the form of abiding in Christ. Or you could say the what, why, and how of abiding in Christ. Um, and so I hope this is encouragement to you. I got kind of uh, my main point here, and what I want to talk about today is that a revived church will abide in Christ through prayerful dependence upon him in all things and boldly asking him to experience the fullness of his promises. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, So if you just look uh, at at verse 1, let's jump into it here. Um, This is the words of Jesus just before he is going to go to the cross. And he says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So uh, Jesus gives us a picture of a vine, okay? And he says that the Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. So God the Father is uh, the person who has orchestrated this plan of the vine, which is Jesus being the vine, us being the branches plugged into Jesus, if you will, attached to Jesus, getting our life from Jesus. And the Father is the one orchestrating all of this. And we see from Scripture that God, the Father, has had this redemptive plan to send his son Jesus, right, to die for our sins. You get this picture of him being the vine dresser, taking care of the branches, keeping it together. Uh, Jesus being the true vine. So Jesus is the only source of life and nourishment for us. This is an important analogy here. I'm trying to give you a picture of this. So Jesus is where the branches get their nourishment and their life. If you took a branch out and it was just detached from the vine, it would not last long, right? It would wither away, as we see in Jesus' analogy here, and it would perish. And so we get this view of Jesus that we should have so near and dear to our hearts, which is Jesus is the only source of life. This also is kind of an old, coming from an Old Testament analogy. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And so we see in Isaiah a lot that God's people and God's covenant with his people is kind of, uh, 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 it's an allegory within a vineyard or a vine. And so Jesus is saying that uh, I am the, the true vine, I'm the true fulfillment of what God has been promising, what God has been doing with his people, right? Uh, so that kind of ties into that. Um, and then lastly, you know, we're, we are uh, said to be branches. So we're, we're, we are shown to be branches that should be attached to Christ. And uh, those that aren't bearing fruit uh, are then plucked off and, and thrown away. And those that are bearing fruit are pruned. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but it just paints the picture of us that we are very needy, okay? My goal 
today is to show us that we, we are needy people, okay? Just as a branch is absolutely, totally, utterly dependent on the vine, in that same way, we are totally, absolutely, utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ for all of our life, all of our, our nourishment. And this is important to understand. So Jesus says um, that you cannot bear fruit apart from him. Let's, let's, let's continue reading, uh, starting um, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus makes it clear that you are helpless apart from him. And this is a good thing. We should rejoice that we are helpless. We should rejoice that we need Christ. And it begs the question, like, I don't know, like, how often you wonder, I wonder this a lot, but I don't know how often in your life you wonder why it is so hard for you to live a life that bears fruit, right? That bears fruit. Like, when you look at the Christian life and what it should be, what we're called to be, like, you read the Sermon on the Mount, and then you look at your life, um, do you find yourself wondering, why is that? Why, why is there this huge disconnect from what I want to be, what I should be, what I'm called to be, and what I am? And that is because... We don't abide like we should. We need to abide in Christ. It is important. And without him, we can do nothing. Um, Spurgeon said this. He said, brothers and sisters, if we had more sense of our need, prayer would be more of an instinct with us. We would pray because we could not help praying. He also said later on, um, though infinitely better able to be without prayer, uh, than we are, yet Jesus prayed much more than we do. I thought that was cool too, looking at Jesus' life. We see in the life of Jesus that Jesus came down as a man, the God-man, right? And Jesus resembled this in a very unique way. There's oftentimes in the scriptures you see Jesus sneaking out way before it was light outside to be alone with the Father. We see his life of prayer, always praying. And if Jesus, who, like Spurgeon said, infinitely more could do without prayer than us, you know, how much more do we need to abide in Christ um, it is important. So what I mean by the, the foundation of abiding is I mean that the, the idea of abiding is true and we need it so desperately because we do need it. We can do nothing apart from it. There's no good we could do apart from Christ. We have nothing good in us apart from Jesus Christ. And so it's important that uh, he abides in us and, and we abide in him. So this is the foundation of what I want to talk about today. We should be a prayerfully dependent people upon Christ. Everything we need comes from his hand. It's all provided by him and through him. I wanted to find abiding. I took this from the ESV study Bible notes. I thought they left a very, very good depiction of what abiding means. This is what it says. It says, to abide is to continue in daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. And we'll, we'll see those things today. We're kind of going to highlight those things. But that's what abiding is. Let me read that one more time. To abide is to continue in daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. So it is a daily thing. It is a constant thing. It is an unwavering, unbroken thing for us to abide in Christ. It's not that we come on Sunday to abide in Christ so that the rest of the day we're good, right? It's like when you plan your groceries. It's like you go grocery shopping for the week, right? It's like Sunday at HEB at 6 p.m., right? It's like the worst time to be out shopping. Everyone goes, they get everything they need for the week, and then maybe you have to go to the store every once in a while on your way home, but you have everything you need for the week. That's not what church is. It is not the HEB for your Christianity, 
okay? It is a daily thing that we must do to abide in Christ. Our life is in him. And it's true that we can live like it's not that way. You can go weeks without praying and you feel like, man, I'm still doing good, right? Like I'm still being productive. I'm still doing this. I'm in my word, whatever. And we, we, we are not connected with him and we are withering away. That's why you get to that certain point when we call it spiritually dry, right? You get to a certain point where you feel like, oh man, something's wrong and I had no idea this was coming. It's because we're not abiding daily, constantly. It's necessary. So that's the foundation of abiding. I want to look at the fruit. I want to spend some time here. Uh, it's going to be really the, the whole text I want to look through, and then the whole text we'll look through again and talk about the form and, and what it should look like in our lives. Um, so let's look at the fruit of abiding. Um, let's just read verses 2 through 6 really fast. Um, I know I'm kind of doing a lot of rereading through, but I just want to show us in the text like what's going on here. Um, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away... And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burn. So I want to look at two things when we talk about the fruit of abiding. I want to look at the, the fruit of the non-abiding branches and the fruit of the abiding branches. There's a contrast here that Jesus gives. He goes back and forth, but he gives the, 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 those that are not bearing fruit because they're not abiding, those that are bearing fruit because they are abiding. So let's look at the fruit of the non-abiding branches. Um, and I think one fact to point out is that they don't bear fruit, right? If you're not abiding in Christ, there's no fruit to your life. It's there's no eternal purposes being worked out in your life. There's no good fruit, like, the, like you resembling the character and nature of God, for instance, or fruit of making disciples, or fruit of, like I said, living your life um, that, that matters. It's like, it's like a, as John Bible would say, a wasted life to not bear fruit in your life. That means everything is vain. All the toil that you do, it's all for naught. It says in verse 2 that he takes them away. It says in verse 6 that they are thrown away like a branch and wither. Um, that they're gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, some people interpret this text. Um, I don't claim to be a scholar, so I'm just going to kind of give you both of them because I'm not really sure. Some would say this is obvious, a depiction of hell, that those who don't abide are not fruit. As Spurgeon say, a, a prayerless Christian is a Christless Christian, right? Uh, that there's, there's no true salvation in them. There's no true connection to Christ because if you're connected to Christ, then there's, there's life. And so some would interpret that to say that if you don't abide in Christ, that it is, it is proof that you do not prove to be, as Jesus will say later, to be his disciple. And, and therefore, this would be an analogy of being gathered, uh, withering away, thrown into the fire, and burned, um, which is an analogy of, of hell. Um, some would say that, kind of going off 1 Corinthians 3, because it says that we'll be judged by our works, everything that was built on the foundation of Christ and, uh, and the great day of judgment, we uh, will be judged, and everything that is, was not good, that was not fruitful, will be burned up. And that we'll be saved except through fire. And some people take that analogy to mean that uh, the branches are all Christians because they're attached to Christ. And then um, 
that they just don't bear fruit, and so they just kind of wither, and they kind of wasted their life, but they got in. I, I would venture to say I am convinced that this is probably talking about a non-believer circumstance, that if you um, don't abide in Christ, that, 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 is, that is probably proof. There's no desire to be with Christ. It's probably proof that you were never in Christ in the first place, but it's obviously an analogy, so all analogies break down somewhere. There's no perfect analogy. Mine is just speaking the gospel and how Christianity is, but Jesus used these things uh, to help us understand. So I would say that if you don't abide in Christ, that would prove that you don't want Christ and that therefore you don't have Christ and therefore to be burned would be forever. And I think that is a serious warning and encouragement for us to do what Peter says, to make our calling and election sure, which I think that's important. I think as you examine your life in a healthy way, right? Not that we should be doubting all the time if we're in Christ, but we should examine our lives and say, am I, am I bearing fruit? Am I abiding? Do I want Christ? Am I, do I know Christ? Is there a relationship there? And that's important to think about. But either way, the encouragement, I think, would be that if you don't abide in Christ, this leads to withering and it leads to death. Either way. However way you want to take that, if you're not abiding in Christ, the end result, the fruit, is going to be withering and it's going to be death. It's going to be lifeless. You have no life apart from Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must abide. Now, let's look at the fruit of abiding in branches. I want to focus on some cool things that we get here. I use the word cool a lot, which is a really poor word to explain that. I apologize. I told myself I wasn't going to say it, but it just flows out of me. All right. Um, let's look at some of the fruit. Um, as we read in verse two, well, first of all, I'll say that they bear fruit. This is awesome, right? We get the gift of bearing fruit. And we know because of verse three that this is not something we earned, right? Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The gospel is true. We didn't earn the gospel. The gracious Father created this design that we could be put into the vine, and now we have Christ, and there's no earning here. There's no earning here. I'm not trying to set a um, path today where it says that if, if you are not praying two hours every morning that you're not saved. It's not what I'm trying to do today. I'm just saying that um, we, we, abide, we abide not because we are earning relationship with Christ, because we already have one, right? So the fruit is that, that we get to bear, bear fruit. We, we have Jesus Christ, and our lives get to show that and prove that. Um, the second thing we see is in verse 2. He says that... Um, those that abide will be pruned that they may bear more fruit. And so a great fruit and joy that we get is to be pruned, okay? Now to be pruned, you probably have heard this, um, is to cut off some things that are unhealthy, right? It's to do some, some damage work so that it could be healthy. That's what you do when you're taking care of a vine or you're taking care of a plant. You want to cut things off so it doesn't overgrow and get all nasty and get all unhealthy. If there's leaves that are dying or fruit that's dying, you want to cut that stuff off. And so in the same way, Jesus gives us the grace to be pruned. Um, I somehow really lost my page there, but that's okay. We'll find it eventually. Um, so for the believer, every trial, every temptation, every pain, every suffering, every disappointment is producing in you an eternal weight of glory. That is beyond all comparison, as Paul says. Um, and so God is designed by design. There are things in your life that's going to happen. There's things that God is going to put you through on purpose so that you may bear more fruit and so prove to be his disciples. I'm not saying that God is like the, you know, the magnifying glass ant analogy, but God is going to put, purposely put you through suffering so that you would bear more fruit that you'd be more like Christ, that you would find more joy in Christ. He breaks, as a, the hymn says, I, I asked the Lord, it says, uh, he, he breaks our schemes of earthly joy that we may seek our all in him. 
He does that over and over again. We have these schemes to find joy in this earth, and, and Christ continually, um, or God the Father continually prunes us that we may bear more fruit. And that's a, that's a beautiful, awesome thing. So we're pruned. That's a fruit. That's good. Um, I already talked about that we're clean, so we have the gospel. We have a relationship with him. Um, verse 7, so let's kind of read uh, verse 7 here. Uh, we'll just read verse 7 through 11, and then we'll talk about it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the third fruit is... Uh, what we found in verse seven, which is an unwavering confidence in prayer. So you are sure that God loves you as you abide in his love and you can ask confidently um, to the Father. This is a pretty crazy text. Like, uh, just think about that for a like, If you believe this, right? It says that uh, if you abide in him and his words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a pretty audacious promise from Jesus. That's a pretty big promise. Now, I think there's some understanding here. This isn't prosperity gospel, Okay, it's not saying you can ask for really whatever you want right now uh, and it's going to happen. And you've probably tried that and proven that wrong over and over again, right? It's like we ask for a lot of stuff that doesn't end up in our pockets or with us or in our lives. Um, and that's a very purposeful thing. But I love the careful words of Jesus because he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it be done for you. Jesus is saying that if you're walking in a relationship with me and this word is forming your mind and your heart and it is in you and dwelling inside of you, then you're going to want what God wants. That's awesome, right? You're going to want what God wants. Therefore, when you ask, every time it's going to be the will of God, right? You're asking for what God wants, and the Holy, Spirit's, Holy Spirit helps us to do this as well, but we have a confidence in prayer. I hope we have that. We have a confidence, one, that, that we are sons and daughters. We have relationship with him. We can go and pray to him. This was, uh, as we saw when Jesus was crucified and he breathed his last breath, the curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God was torn officially and forever. We now have access to him. Therefore, we have confidence to go into prayer because we're loved no matter what we've done, we're loved. We have confidence to go in repentance when we sin because we are loved and we have the boldness and the confidence to take God at his word and what he promises and ask for those things and believe them. Believe that they can happen. That is really, really cool. Um, and we'll talk about that a little more uh, later, but that is a good fruit. Um, number four is in verse eight is that you get to live a life that glorifies the Father. That's awesome. Jesus says that if, if, if you're doing this, if you're abiding in him and he in you, um, that um, this will glorify the Father. He says, this is what glorifies the Father, that you abide in me and, so, and bear, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we abide in him, as we're bearing fruit, this glorifies the Father. As the vine and as, as the branches are producing luscious fruit, this glorifies not just the vine, but the vine dresser, right? The vine dresser that is orchestrating and working all of this as we bear fruit and so prove to be good branches with good fruit. 
This glorifies the Father. So this doesn't mean you'll be perfect. You obviously know that. But this does mean that our, as we become more and more like Jesus Christ, our character is changing. We're becoming more righteous. Yes, we will fall. Yes, we'll need to repent all the time. But we will be becoming more like Christ. And this will uh, prove to bear much fruit and so glorify the Father. And if you are in Christ, this is a joyful fruit, right? We long to glorify him. We should be grieved that we don't glorify him like we ought. And this is a cool fruit. Um, And then verse 9 through 11, Jesus begins to talk about abiding in his love. And he says that he's saying all of this so that his joy might be in us and our joy might be full. And so lastly, the people who abide, they have the fruit of Christ's joy in them and their joy is full. What an unbelievable promise we have here for those who abide in Christ. And so, do you lack joy? Come to Christ, right? This is what he's saying. Do you, do you lack joy in your life? Do you lack that fullness of joy? Come to Christ, the source of all joy. And that is where you will find fullness of joy. It's in him. It's nowhere else. It's in him. That's why he's constantly breaking our schemes to find it elsewhere. So he offers himself. We see this in many texts, right? We see in the Psalms uh, that David says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 1611 says um, about Christ that in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's the promise of unwavering joy. Not joy in circumstance, but joy in Christ. Not joy in what we can do, but joy in Christ. Not even joy in our ability to abide but joy in Christ. And this is a fruit of the abiding life, the person who daily, dependently leans on Christ for all the fulfillment of his promises, for all the fullness of joy. This joy is yours. It's good. So as we abide in his love, it's proven through obedience, we have fullness of joy, and we get to be with Christ. So this begs the question of how. So we talk about the foundation is you are utterly dependent upon Christ. You need him. That's why we abide. We talked about the the fruit. This is why we should abide because we we long for these things, right? We long for that fullness of joy. We long to glorify the Father. We long um, for his presence. But how do we do this? It's a big question, okay? And I purposely want to, as best as I can, stray away from telling you this is what you should do. You should wake up at 6 a.m. You should pray for two hours like Martin Luther. And then when you do that for a certain amount of time, then you're going to buy and it's going to be good, okay? I'm not going to put any mandate on time or how that would look, but I think that we should abide by prayer. That's why I'm going to make the argument. There's many ways we can abide. Joe talked last week about being in the word of God. So I'm going to try not to be too repetitive with that. There's one way we abide in Christ that we're in his word. But tonight I want to focus on prayer. And here's how I define it. Um, Looking at this portion of text, taking our definition of abiding, this is what I would say. We abide in Christ through continual prayer, continual prayer that is characterized by trust, obedience, and joy. We abide in Christ through continual prayer that is characterized by trust, obedience, and joy. So prayer is not the relationship within itself, but it is the means in which we have connection and relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the means in which we abide. By trustful prayer, I mean simple belief that um, says God will do what he has promised in his word, right? We saw it in verse seven. A trusting prayer, like I trust God. I trust God when he says he loved me. I trust him when he says that he will give me this fullness of joy. I trust him when he says that if I abide in him, I will bear much fruit. It's a trusting prayer, not a doubtful prayer. James has a lot to say about doubtful praying, right? Um, we, We should be trusting 
people. We trust in Christ. We believe in him. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote a lot on prayer and revival, he said this. He said, I have said before that one of these days, someone will read the Bible for the first time, believe it, and act on it with daring, simple faith. Then we longtime believers will bow in shame, crying, Lord, help our unbelief. I love that. He says, one day someone's going to pick up the Bible, read it, and say it's true. And just believe it and just act on it in simple faith. This is why Christ said that um, your faith should be like a child's. I can tell my son anything, and he believes it 99% of the time. It's a beautiful thing. Like, I can just make anything up, and I do probably too much. And sometimes I don't go back and correct it, and I have to find out later that I have to correct it. But, but he trusts. He trusts me. I don't know why, but he does, right? Um, I hope you test me on everything that I say, but he trusts me. He trusts me, and we should have that kind of faith. Like Jesus said it. Jesus said it. It's true. He's the true vine. It's in the word. And so therefore, we should have a trusting, trusting prayer. By obedient prayer, I mean not perfection, but a genuine desire and pursuit to obey God in all that he commands us and a longing to repent when we don't fulfill that. Jesus clear here. He said, if you abide in me, then you will obey my commandments. So he, uh, let me get the exact wording here so I don't just give you anything. Um, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So just as Jesus kept the Father's commandments, and that's how he abides in his love, in the same way we will do that. It's not perfect obedience, but um, there should be a life of obedience about us. That's why, that's why Paul in 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, I wish that all men in every place would pray lifting up holy hands without quarreling or arguing. And what he's saying there is that um, it, it is a hard thing for us if we, are, if we are dead set on being disobedient to lift our hands and, with holy hands and pray and have confidence in the presence of God. It is a hard thing to do that if, if we are living a life of disobedience purposefully, right? So if there's something in your life you know you're being disobedient about, it's going to be hard to abide in Christ. It's going to be hard to pray. It's going to be hard to come before God and to um, want to pray and feel confident in praying. Not that our confidence should be our own works. That's not what I'm saying. But there, there's a difference there when there's an obvious want for disobedience that should be repented of, and we should feel confident to come before him and repent. So uh, it's an obedient, uh, obedience in, in prayer as well. Um, and by joyful prayer, I just mean what we talked about, deep satisfaction in Christ and not, not deep satisfaction in circumstance, not deep satisfaction in uh, anything else in life or your status or what's going on, but a satisfaction in Christ, an acknowledgement that Christ is the only true joy. And so we should have a life of continual prayer like this. Um, but it begs the question, why, why don't we pray? Um, I said earlier um, that I don't think many of us or any of us for that matter, would probably confidently say that we think we pray enough, we think we're at the level that we feel like we should be, we think we're obedient enough in prayer, we think we're fruitful enough in prayer, we think we're abiding in Christ how we should be to the fullest. Now some may be at better places than others, but um, we are, I think, a prayerless people. We are. And uh, I thought like, man, what are some of the, the reasons that maybe I don't like think overtly, but obviously act like, um, the, my excuses, if you will, and here's some things I thought of, so you can shame me later, but I got some rebuttals for these two, okay? Not enough time. Um, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. We all have the ability to use it however we want to. Um, time, uh, we make time for things that we value, right? We will make time for things that we value. I've noticed this because I can stay up really late for certain things, 
there's certain things that I can push past my old man attitude because I always like to go to sleep early, but um, there are things that I can do that for and there are things that's very hard for, right? Like if you've ever been sitting up in bed, maybe trying to read John 15, right? And you're just trying to dwell on it and all of a sudden by about verse four, you realize you fell asleep and you don't know how long, right? Those things kind of happen, right? And so uh, our value system can be jacked up sometimes. But if you, if you begin, uh, I purposely didn't want to try to mention too many of these things, but if you begin uh, a binge watch on something, a show that you're starting or some kind of avenue um, that you're watching shows from, it seems like all of a sudden you have this ability because of your value to stay alert, right? To stay awake, to say, oh, because it comes up, it's like oh, in five seconds, this next episode is going to start. And you say, Oh, if I don't touch it, it's not me doing it, right? It's just happened to continue. And I said, well, now I have to finish out the storyline, right? That's kind of what happens. Um, because there's a value system there that you're willing to do that. Or if you're an outdoorsman, right? You like to get up early for fishing or hunting and things like that, right? Um, there's many excuses you can make for why, and it's because of your value system. To just say there's not enough time means that there's obviously things that are valued above that, whether it be your job, whether it be your family, whether it be you can name it, you can fill in the blank for yourself. Um, it's, it's not an excuse to not abide. Um, not enough energy. That's another thing. Well, maybe I get the time, but I'm just so exhausted for all the work I do or anything like that. But your energy is given to what you value once again. Um, I know that there are necessities as people in, on this world, in this life, that are going to take up our energy, they are going to make us exhausted, that is going to happen, but um, that's on our basis anyways, right? That's why Paul says things like, but when I'm weak, I'm strong, like I'm going to be strong through Jesus Christ. And so because you lack energy is also not a sufficient excuse. Because God provides that, right? We beg God to provide that because when we're strong, that's probably the worst time that we're going to be the least dependent upon Christ. But in our weaknesses, um, we get the strength of Christ and that is much more fruitful and you probably will end up much more uh, dependent. Um, not enough to pray about, maybe. Maybe like, man, I pray for my family, pray for the lost, pray, you know. I did that in about five minutes. Um, one, I'll say prayer is not just talking. I think prayer involves uh, sitting in silence before God, listening to God, opening up the word. Um, but there's a lot to pray about, just to name a few. Maybe your current struggle against sin. Maybe your current darkness in your heart. Uh, same thing in your family. The countless millions that probably died today and didn't know Christ um, because they weren't attached to the vine. There's a lot to pray about. And as we begin to pray more and more and as we practice this abiding, as we continue to abide in Christ, he shares his heart with us. As, our, as his words abide in us and us in him and he abides in us, we begin to share God's heart. And when you begin to share God's heart, there will be a lot to pray about. We don't have a lot to pray about because we don't share God's heart. But as we get to know him more, as our heart bleeds for the same things that his heart bleeds for, you can't help but overflow in prayer. And then also, as we read earlier, as you begin more and more and more to um, know Christ, that, that, that grows more and more and more. As we get into more and more and more of our need to be even able to pray, the strength of Christ that we need because we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And as we see that, the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to pray and gives us those things. And even when we don't know what to pray about, ultimately, Romans 8 says that the Spirit prays for us anyways, and He knows what to pray. He helps us in our interceding. And this is an awesome thing. Um, but uh, I think our prayer lives, ultimately, I think one of the main reasons that we don't pray is because our, our prayer lives 
as we get alone with God, no one else is around, um, I think that just shows our bareness, right? We have to face that we are barren, that we are found wanting, right? Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, the pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. There is no, there's no way you can go into your prayer closet and like, God, I'm about to impress you, right? I've been working on this all week, you know? been memorizing this prayer and I'm about to bring it. It just doesn't work that way, right? It's, it's not impressive. And I'm sure majority of us would rather avoid that conflict of facing your own emptiness, your lack of joy in Christ. You would much rather avoid that than you would face it. That's why we spend our free time in meaningless things, right? That's why we are uh, distracted by meaningless things. That's why uh, entertainment and kind of creating our image on social media and all these things are a reflection why we are so lost in those things because we don't want to face our barrenness. And it's scary. As we look at Jesus' words, like, man, I wish I wouldn't have read that because now that I read that and understood that, I'm accountable for that, right? Jesus says, you have to abide in me. That's how you're going to bear fruit. Uh, and, and it's a hard thing to do, but it is an important thing to do. And I would venture to say that the enemy rejoices every time we choose to avoid that, right? The only true freedom, Christ said the truth will set you free. The only true freedom is facing that, coming to Christ, acknowledging that, repenting of that, and allowing Christ to see you because he already sees you completely naked. He sees everything about you, right? And, and to allow him to uh, see that, repent of that, and then to allow him to fill you to feel that barrenness, to feel that void that you have. It's so important. So we must not be distracted with those things. We must come before God. We must beg God to do what only he can do, right? Um, we have to face our barrenness. Um, it's important. Uh, John Barrage said this. He's an 18th century minister. He said, all decays begin in the closet. No heart thrives without much secret converse with God. And nothing will make amends for the want of it. So that's important. Constant converse with God, communion with God, relationship with God is so important. I'll tell a personal story of, of, of my life, a, kind of a moment where I really realized this and kind of began to acknowledge this in my life. Like, like most of you probably, uh, you probably have some background in your younger years. Maybe not. Maybe some of you don't at all. And that's uh, by God's grace that you're sitting here right now. But um, you probably have some background in church maybe you at least grew up, maybe you didn't go to church, maybe you had a general knowledge of who God was, right? Um, and that could probably be defined in many different ways. Um, I, I had that growing up I, as, a, as a younger kid. I was in church a lot. I was taught a lot of good things. So I had a lot of good knowledge about God in, in my head, and that was awesome. Um, I, I had really no relationship with God, but I had a lot of things about God. I'm very thankful for that because that it gave me uh, a, a lot of, not like not that I was super wise or something at seven years old, but I had a working understanding of who God was, a healthy understanding of who God was and what he was for me. Uh, but then as I kind of got into middle school, I wasn't really like, I didn't have to go to church anymore and things like that, so I kind of avoided that a lot. And throughout my life, I'd have these struggles where I would kind of, every once in a while, I'd like open up to Matthew, uh, and I started to read Matthew. I'd get about two chapters in, and then I would you know, wait a year, and then I would kind of do that again. I had to cycle my life of this constant conviction that I needed to uh, live my life better, live it more fruitfully, um, but this, this constant inability to do that because I didn't, one, know what that meant really, but two, I was just constantly trying to kind of work that up. And so, but I always had, a, I always was very conscious of uh, when I sinned, I felt really bad. I had a lot of this conviction, I think it was the grace of God. I was a very, uh, just afraid of displeasing God. I was very afraid of hell all of my life. Um, and 
as I kind of moved down uh, here, I moved down here, started like a ministry training and all that kind of stuff. I'm from, from West Virginia, but moved down. You probably know that because that's all I talk about is West Virginia. So I know in your head, you're probably like, yeah, we get it, but um, it's just a great place, okay? Um, but I moved down. I remember I, I went to Brazil uh, on this uh, mission trip. I, I called it a mission trip, but really it was just kind of like, I was going to help uh, just kind of watch other people do things. I wasn't really like doing much of uh, evangelism and things like that. I did pray with people and stuff. But um, I know for a fact going into this that there was not a relationship uh, with God that existed in my heart and in my life. Uh, I pretended that there was. but um, and, and really not because I necessarily wanted to in, in impress people or anything. But I just kind of thought like this is what it is, I guess. I don't know. I was kind of really confused about my religion. And I remember sitting uh, it's, uh, at this youth camp. We went to this youth camp or whatever. And we were helping out and stuff. And I remember sitting uh, through all these teachings. And, and majority of it was kind of roughly translated for me. So I wasn't kind of getting much of it anyways. Kind of, I was just more fascinated. They were speaking Portuguese. It was like cool for me, you know. Um, I remember particularly this one teaching. Uh, this lady got up and spoke. And um, it was kind of really intense. You know, she had this very, like, in, in, intenseness about her. She literally, like, like, it starts off, like, she's not in the room, and these guys are, like, carrying a coffin. Like, it's really, like, youth, youth ministry stuff. Like, they're carrying a coffin down. Like, it's almost like a funeral. I'm like, what's going on? This is, like, weird, you know? And anyways, they lay this coffin down, and she, like, comes out of the coffin. You know, I think she's talking about. It's, like, pretty epic. She didn't, like, jump out, like, bam, you know? But she was, like, um, just... Uh, came out of the coffin and began to talk about the seriousness of death. And um, like I said, most of it wasn't translated um, just because it was like my, my stepmom was trying to translate for like six of us, okay? And I was kind of like sitting farthest away. And I kind of started to zone in and out. And I just felt like, man, like I, I want this to be real. Or I don't want this at all. I remember thinking that. I'm like, man, like this is, Christianity just sucks. You know, it's like, now I want to know, like I want to have this relationship and I'm supposed to have this relationship, but I know that, but it's like, there's no connection there, Right. It's like, for me, it's just like frustrating because I'm like, God, you know, I see people like crying and they're affected in your presence and, and I'm not moved at all emotionally. And I'm like, I don't know if, like, I know this isn't right. So, you know, at the end, they kind of gave this call to come again, prayer, you know, traditional stuff. I went up and got prayer by like three people. It was all in Portuguese. I understood none of it. And it was just kind of praying for me like, this is cool. I'd go back to my seat, come up again. Someone else prayed for me. I did this about three times. And then uh, finally I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, some of the kids had left, like, playing soccer around the field, and they're just kind of, like, going some, like, the holier kids were still in there, you know? And so I was like, well, I'm going to leave now. Um, so I remember I went to walk out. It was, like, this chapel. It was a really beautiful place like, on top of a hill there in Brazil. And uh, I got to the door. Sorry, this is a long story. I didn't plan on doing this, but oh, well. Um, not sorry, you know. I got to the door, and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm seriously done. Like, if this doesn't work. Like, I was like, man, I, like... And I'm just, just talk probably, but I was like, you know, this is so frustrating for me. But when I got there, I was like, you know what? I want to go up one more time. Just one more time. You know, it's kind of like you do that a lot with things. I was like, just one more time and that's it. God, if you don't speak to me this time, like, I don't even think you're real. So if you don't prove it to me now, like, that, 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 that's it. And I uh, went back down and once again, someone came up for me and prayed in Portuguese. And I totally didn't understand it. I was like, oh, that's cool. But then the guy, the same guy that prayed for me went and got someone else who knew a little bit of English. And then they came over and as they started to pray for me, he started to just kind of speak things into my life. Uh, God basically told me uh, that he was real um, and that he had a calling in my life. And it was just some of the generic, that could seem generic things that people say, right? Um, but I, I, I promise you, that was the first time ever in my whole entire life that I ever uh, knew that God was speaking to me. As soon as he began to speak to me, as soon as he began to say, like, I, I'm real, and begin to speak things in my life. I promise, like it was like, sorry, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. It was uh, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. And I fell on my knees, <laughs> and I cried, which I don't do often. 
Sorry. And I just wept for like minutes. I mean, minutes and minutes. I just wept. I had no idea what was going on. And I slowly started to come out of it. And I realized there was like, like a whole bunch of people around me that were also crying. It was like a, a crazy thing. But I remember thinking like, man, I want this in my life. Like, I cannot continue to live my life and this not be real. It's important. Anyways, it was a good thing for me. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, I, and I, I told myself, and, and I failed once again miserably most of my life after that too, so t- take heart, but I, I told myself, like, like, never again, never again am I going to be in that situation where I just, like, like, don't know God, I'm fake, and it breaks my heart because I know, I know that majority of the Christians in the West are this way. It's just the thing to do in the suburbs, Right? It's still in the South, in Houston, it is culturally beneficial for you to be a Christian. And so many people just have this life of not abiding in Christ, not attached to the vine, not bearing fruit, and they're okay with that. And they're okay with that most of their lives, and it takes God breaking in, breaking in and changing your heart and giving you the gift of His presence. And there is fullness of joy in that. And so I I beg you, don't be okay with that. What is the point? If you get to the end of your life, everyone thought you were a Christian, thought you had a good life, thought you had a vibrant relationship with Christ, and you are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What gain is that? It's not gain. I would much rather say, I, I don't have that. I feel like a branch that's withering away. I feel like a dead branch. I don't feel attached to the vine. I'd rather run to Christ and, and, and beg him. And I promise you, I did this for years. It wasn't like I only prayed that once and God just showed up. For years, I was miserable secretly because I did not have Christ like Christ promised we would have him. That should bother you. That should bother you. Even if you had had those experiences and you're now at a place where you feel like for months or years you have not been abiding like you should be, that should bother you. That should break your heart. So what I want to do is I want to take just, just about five minutes Okay, I, know this, I don't want this to be weird. I'm not going to do anything weird, but I just want to take about five minutes, and I just want us to just take some time before we sing a response song, before we um, do any of that, to just, uh, just beg God. Beg God that he would help us to abide in him, acknowledge our barrenness, acknowledge our unfruitfulness, acknowledge that we can't um, do anything apart from him, acknowledge that, like, we know the things that he's promised, and if we don't believe them, just to say, Lord, help my unbelief. God, help me to believe that what you say is true. Um, Jesus, do this in my life. Like, I want to abide in you. I want to bear fruit. I want to know you. I want to be connected with you. And if you're at a place where you feel like, man, I feel very close to Christ right now, good. Pray for more. Pray for more fruit. Pray for more joy in him. And if you're at a place where you feel like, Either A, I've been faking this. Either A, I know I'm not a or B, it's not two A's there. I know I'm not a non-believer or, or a believer. Gosh, can't speak. Um, or maybe you just feel like, man, this has not been the same. This is not who I am in Christ. I've been living this way. I, I just want to take some time to acknowledge that and pray. And I know it's weird to pray in church, but um, it's a good place to pray, okay? It's a good place to pray. And I'm not going to put any rules on this. I mean, Brenda, if you maybe would mind come up and just kind of playing uh, some behind us. Um, 
I just want you to pray. You can pray out loud. You could do whatever you want to, but I just want to ask God for those things. Um, and then I'll come back up in about five minutes. I'm just going to pray for us, and we'll respond in worship together uh, as the body. So um, just, just take that time right now.